Hi, my name's Karen O'Connor and welcome to this episode of the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This isn't about, like a few people have a business, but the main thing about what I do is about sharing information, whether that's sharing stories and experiences or whether that's sharing stuff like you do, um, That's the most important thing because the main part of the conversation that I'm involved in is we get like menopause in Western society is seen as the end of your useful life, basically. Mm. Mm. And so it's no one, and I didn't realize this till recently, so it's no wonder that so many women get depressed when they get to midlife because as totally. far as we're all concerned, you don't see older women on television, in movies, like very, very few comparatively, you know, mothers of young superstars are usually in their mid-40s when they yeah. play the part. They're not actually older women. And, but in, if you go to Indigenous cultures, mm. menopause is as important as going through puberty because at that point you stop giving your energy to procreation and raising children and you can give your energy, you retain your wisdom and your energy to contribute to the community as a whole. So that's the point when you become a wise woman and that's Mm -hmm. the conversation I want to change. So stop it being almost taboo Mm -hmm. and change this perception that, Menopause is the end of a useful life. Totally. Those two things mainly. Awesome. So, yeah. And sharing stories and sharing information, you know, because nobody knows about menopause. Nobody knows anything. It's like people don't know about vaginas and vulvas. No. And no. Oh, I'll tell you, I was reading a book the other week called, what is it called? Uh, My Menopausal Vagina. I'll send you the link. But this woman got, there is, there is a, one impact that can come through menopause is that your, your vagina basically goes so dry that it actually yeah. shrivels. And she couldn't even walk, this woman, for several months. And, wow. and we'd, I'd never heard of this before, but it's a fantastic book. And she said, you know, this conversation has to come out there. So she started a Facebook group and she's got thousands of women in there with the same issue. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know about it. I knew, you know, you might get a bit dry, but I didn't know it could impact you to the point where it was completely incapacitating, where you're in so much pain that you actually can't move. Wow. And yet it's, you know, if that was a guy's penis, you can bet your bottom dollar there would have been something done about it. There would most certainly have been a cream or a pill or a surgery or an operation or, a, <laughs> you know, totally. Yeah. So tell me what got you into, because, like, all I know about um free the v is what you shared in the group last week so i'm really curious as to how this all came about what it's about so it's um it's started with my a conversation that i was born into around um i have never hated anything in my life i've never hated a person i've never really hated a thing and i discovered and it was 
it was in the listening of what I was saying, like communicating to my partner was like, I just hate my vagina. I just like hate it. it you know, it's fine. I just don't hate it. So I just don't show it to a lot of people. And I just, I just, I just don't, I just don't really like it. And it, it showed up as an impact in our relationship. And so, you know, Ben and I are in a long distance relationship, but it was, it was the conversation I had about it. And the fact that there was this, you know, I love my body. I'm totally, I've just created who I am is a beautiful woman. And so I love my body. I'm, I, you know, I love how I look. I love how, who I am. Cause I say, however, it was like, I love all of my body, except we don't talk about my vagina or like my vulva actually. And so um, I started to get into a conversation around what is everything I say about, about her? I hate her. She's disgusting. I don't know what's normal. She'll get me in trouble. Um, you know, it's shameful. Like all this stuff. I came up with like 13, uh, 300 phrases of critiques, interpretations, judgments, thoughts, feelings, beliefs, um about about my vulva and my vagina and my relationship with her and got really moved by how um how much I had it like it was this thing that I really hated and when I so then we I did this process of like transformation around my conversation about my vagina and I got in that conversation like how awful, how awful my conversation was about that part of my body. Like I was just like, just get it off. I just get away. I just, you know, it's tucked under and it's hidden. No one really sees, no one really sees vaginas. Like I didn't really know what's normal, what's not normal. You know, there's this conversation around, you know, and I apologise for this language if people struggle to listen to it, but it's like it's like a porn star pussy and there's a particular type of vagina type that is very young looking. Um, it, you know, it's the, the fastest growing surgery, plastic surgery is um, to alter vaginas to have them to look like a, you know, a young person's vagina with everything in and nothing, no lips, nothing out, just all very tucked in and tidy and hidden. And so after that conversation, I um, started to transform and say something new about, about her and actually fell in love with my vagina. It was really interesting because I've never wanted to look like other people. I'm very grateful that my eyes are my eyes, that my body is my body, you know, my hair is my hair, my intellect is my intellect, my humour is my humour. And yet I got how absurd it was that with the air of like my vulva and vagina, it was like, oh, I want to be like the same. I've never wanted to be the same as anyone in anything. And then I just got like, wow, like, what on earth is this conversation that I'm in? So I sat with my legs spread, staring in a mirror, being with my vagina for an hour and a half until the conversation altered and I could be with my vagina. And, um, you know, at the beginning I had so much resistance. I was like, I hate this. This is like, I, I was just, 
I have not resisted dealing with a part or a conversation of my own like I resisted this conversation. I have not resisted something like I did this. And, you know, then lots of stuff came out of that conversation like vaginas, it'll just get me in trouble, you know, so don't, you know, have sex with a lot of people because if you do that, then we know that society says that that'll make you a slut or a tart or that's not good and save yourself, you know, like just all of the stuff. So after it took about a week, it took a week of a lot of collaging, a lot of conversation, and then I created um, a new conversation for for my vulva and, and, you know, and actually like, you know, I don't care about my hand. My hand is my hand. It does its thing. So what? I don't care about my feet, my toes. Like I don't really care about my leg. I don't really care about my ass. I don't really care about my ear, like whatever. It just is there. And so I created a conversation where it's, where I just like got to be like, this is a part of skin that is actually all, it is all connected to my whole body. And so altered and transformed the conversation I have around around my vulva and my vagina and what it opened up was like so much self-expression not even like necessarily sexually or anything like that but it was just like wow to like fully accept who I am was really powerful then I you know was sharing all of this with my partner and he was like well Danielle are you going to tell people and I was like oh god like I've you know I don't know if we need to share this So I just started sharing and what I found fascinating and phenomenal was the more I shared, the more I heard that this is quite a common conversation. And for some, um, and I've only really spoken to women about this. I haven't really delved into the world of men and their dicks and their relationship with that. But um, just discovered so much interesting stuff. Like one of my girlfriends said, well, I've only seen my own vulva and I've seen my children's vulva and I don't even know what's real. I don't know how it should smell, how much discharge it should have. What, like, I have no idea. And it's like, wow. And yet we sort of see like a dick here and a dick there. And I've seen so many dicks in my life, but like really haven't seen that many like vulvas or vaginas. Um, And so it was inside of, the altering of me sharing the space that that created for other women to share, you know, Dan's, I have, or Dan, people call me Dan's, but Danielle, I have no problem with my um, vagina, but I hate my thighs or like, I don't have a problem with my vagina, but I don't want my partner to see me naked when we have sex. I like to have the lights off. And it just started to, what came out of the conversations around this was just like blowing me away. And then I just started to see like how it seems like there's a conversation that we're born into as women where it starts young. Don't touch yourself. So little boys can kind of play with their penis whenever they want. But like if a little girl sitting there stroking her vagina, it's like, oh, we'll that's we'll just in your bed, you know, in your bedroom or just not really. And how it just is a conversation. Sometimes when I even tell people about the project and say, oh, it's, a con- it's about altering the conversation of vagina, people like get weird at the word vagina. It's like, holy moly, half of the population have a vagina. And yeah, we're really weird about it. Like even women. Um, so that's what the, that's what the project is about. So Free the V is about 
you know, some people may fall in love with their vagina. Some people may accept and, you know, get to just see what, you know, what extraordinary capacity and the gift that our vaginas are. Some people may get to just alter the conversation they have about their vulva. Some people may not have anything going on at all about their vagina or their vulva and that's no problem, but may alter and transform something else about themselves that they can't accept or that, you know, they heard some young conversation about something when they were younger and then it kind of like had them stuck and fixed. So it's really altering the conversation of vagina and the conversation that women have about what we say about about ourselves and our bodies. And apart from that, I have no idea. One of the girls, we have like a group, it's like just become the vagina dialogue. So we talk about vaginas and we talk about breasts sometimes and we talk about breast cancer and we talk about what happens to the vagina and vulva as we age. Like it's just become this incredible inquiry. And um, one of the girls in the group inside of the conversation got that there's nothing wrong with her vulva, there's nothing wrong with her, there's nothing wrong with her ideas, and then like went and launched a business inside of the conversation. So I'm really interested in just what giving space to have people say whatever it is that's there for them that they need to say um, and just to see what alters inside of that conversation. It's really fascinating because that book that I was telling you about earlier, My Menopausal Vagina, and I'll find it and I'll put it up in the in the notes. Um, when women are actually, when they ask women, I think something like more than 60%, and I could have this number completely wrong, but it is a huge proportion, mm-hmm. more than 60% of women don't know what that vulva is and don't know what it consists of. And the other thing I discovered about 12 months ago was that the um, clitoris, like most people think, and I did until this point, most people think that it's just that little bit on the outside, but it's actually not. It actually goes around the whole of the pelvic area, and it was only actually 3D mapped out 10 years ago. Wow. That's all. Which Mm -hmm. just kind of horrifying mm-hmm. it's like ah okay why in this day and age why is that still going on and then when I was I was talking to one of my daughters the other week we were having a conversation about menopause and everything and what came to light was she's 21 so she went to well, you know obviously she's gone through the school system over here but her sex education like they covered how you get pregnant in terms of what actually happens. But they were told as far as sex education goes, well, you and your husband will sort it out when you get married. Oh, wow. When was this? How many years ago? Well, she's 21. So not that long ago. Not that long ago. And I was just mortified. And she also, she wasn't aware that childbirth changes your body. It changes Mm. your vagina, it changes your vulva, it changes your stomach, and you can't put that right without plastic surgery. And even then, it's not all going to go back in the same place it was. And she was really like, you're kidding me. I'm like, no. She didn't know any of that. Why is none of this discussed? But I think you're quite right in that it's one of those things that's totally ingrained in in girls as they're growing up. My, my friends, I'll never, remember, never forget my friend's daughter, and we're talking, oh, good on 30 years ago now. 
and a little girl was about two and she's pushing a little girl in a pram through town and everybody was laughing. She couldn't figure out what it was till she realised that a little girl had a hand down her knickers and was happily playing with herself and giggling away. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she thought it was funny, but she was really embarrassed. But I know that boys spend most of their lives with their hands down their trousers. Like, I know that that's the case. I have two boys. But with girls, it's like, no, move your hands, move your hands. Mm. And it is kind of like, no, you need to keep it to yourself. You need to keep it hidden and you need to not talk about it at all. It's one Mm. of those taboo subjects. It is Mm. a taboo subject. Mm. So what was, you, what was your experience bringing up? Because so you said you had like 300 things that you wrote about. Had a few views and beliefs about, yeah, had some judgments there. Yeah. What were they? Because like I can think of the normal ones, like, oh, my God, it's disgusting. It's really ugly. Um, who wants to see that anyway? And then you do go into the... It's, like you said, your friend uh, or the woman in the group, um, how much how much discharge are you supposed to have? And I didn't realise for years that it actually changes depending on where you are through your menstrual cycle or where yeah. you are through your life. I didn't realise that, but it actually does. And it changes, oh, what do you call it? Um, it changes the colour and the thickness and everything yeah. else. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Well, and this is what's, and this is sort of what, you know, I remember years and like, I don't know, I was probably 12 or 13 and there was the Dolly magazine. So you asked Dolly Doctor and I know every um, edition of that was like a question about discharge and Dolly Doctor would always say like it's all normal, but if it, you know, gets a funky smell or something in particular and go see a doctor, if, you know, like it's green or whatever else. But so there was this kind of attempt at a conversation around it's actually normal and but it never really landed as that is what is normal. Mm. Like how much discharge is normal. It's like it's all normal. And like it's kind of like it gets said that that's normal. Um, but no one really knows, well, but, but, but how much of it is normal and then when does it become like abnormal? Mm. And no one, I mean, no one has, I mean, I pretty open. I certainly talk to my people about whatever, you know, nothing's off topic, but conversations about that, conversations about the smell, what's it actually supposed to smell like? And then, you know, you go to the shop and it's like, use this product and have a vagina that smells like flowers. And it's like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's actually, I don't think they're supposed to smell like a flower. that's not it's not actually normal it's not how it's designed it's not what it's supposed to do so um you know some of the but in like around the what got said it's amazing I can't I can't even remember it all but it was things like it was also like how I was feeling in the conversation so like I felt like really hot in the conversation then felt like shivery and it's like, um, I feel anxious, I don't want to do this. And that was more that was more of the 300 lots of um, words, sentences, phrases that was just like coming out of my mouth in the conversation about it. Um, so, yeah, it was lots of like, oh, I remember when or I remember seeing this photo of this thing when I was younger or, you know, guilt, shame, remorse, 
um, what's normal, what's not normal, am I normal, is this normal, like this is an porn star pussy, like this is, you know, like just I, well, what's the colour, I don't know about the colour, should it be this colour, should this be like this, it's not, you know, like just all of the stuff. And like I also got like I had this, um, you know, I like symmetry. <laughs> so I'm like it should all just be perfectly symmetrical. And like vaginas aren't generally, maybe if you get plastic surgery though, it's like breasts or your eyes or your ears or your hands or like your feet, like whatever it all is. But it was like, well, it's not symmetrical. So like, I don't know about that. It's like something about that. So I had to actually just be with, it's like I discovered that actually like I have a vagina and I have a vulva and it is perfectly as as it is as a vagina and a vulva like that is what it is but I'd missed somewhere along the line that got really tangled for me and I couldn't even get or be with that that is what it is I remember I was talking to a girlfriend of mine and she was saying you know she had a she had a vulva shape whatever that was that you know that she loved And she said then she had children and she's like, I feel like it's been ruined. So now in her conversation with her husband, there's a conversation for um, being with that. So it's like it doesn't even matter. Like I just got really present to it. It doesn't matter what we end up with, when, on what part, like for how many years is it the perfect vagina or the perfect vulva in our view until we hit menopause and then, things get really dry and so we have to alter the way we have sex or until we age and so, you know, we've got some um, older women in our group who are like, look, your lips begin to, things change, things hang, things get bigger, things drop and it's like, wow, I had no idea that there was this, I had no idea, no one's ever, I haven't seen a lot of older you know, I've never done work with aged care, so I haven't seen a lot of older vulvas or haven't looked, I haven't, I'm not a nurse, so I'm not really around it. I'm also not, in. The, I've never been in a same-sex relationship, so I'm not exposed to, like, lots of vaginas, but, um, and, and vulvas rather, but I use the two words interchangeably, even though they're not, but, um, so I, yeah, like, I, it, it's just amazing, like, how it's like an, an ongoing altering conversations across a lifetime. And it was interesting, this friend of mine said, I sometimes look at um, my daughter's vaginas and go, or vulvas and go, I wish mine looked like that. And it's like, whoa, that really, I hadn't heard that before. When I first got pregnant, um, I was reading a book on childbirth and everything and it showed a before and after, had a before and after drawing of vulvas. And I was like, what? <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. It looks like it's been dragged through a hedge backwards. <laughs> probably does. That probably is what happens when we're giving birth. Like, right. and But it, I remember at the time going, oh, my God, I could never look at that again if it looks yeah. like that after childbirth. I remember that, and I never have. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm just wow. like, no, it's there. It's, and I, the post I put up in my Facebook group the other day, 
when we when I was uh, talking about this conversation, I said, you know, my relationship with my vagina goes as far as you've done a good job, well done. Why well, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> don't want to see you, don't want to know about you, don't want to do anything, just like, okay, you've done a good job. And that is literally as far as it goes. And, mm-hmm. and I've had to have several surgeries for repairs from childbirth. Yeah. Um, but it's, and, and so it's just, but it's just there. It's like my spleen or whatever. But there also is a thing like, it's not, it's, although it's the, our reproductive organ the same as a guy's penis there's not the same openness and guys tend to be really proud of their willies don't they but they're also really proud of their beer bellies as well I mean let's face facts you know they'll sit there and hug it like it's a little baby (laughs) whereas we get all embarrassed if we've still got the baby bulge coming over our, the top of our shorts, which you can't get rid of because, you, you know, let's face it, your skin's stretched out. But there's an embarrassment and a shame about that. Mm. It's not, you know, we've got to look like we did when we were 14. Mm. Yeah. Prior to having children. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting even um, how you say, like, uh, you know, it did a, what was the language that you used? It did a, what kind of job? It did a good job. Good did a good you. job. Did a good yeah. job. But I don't want to look at it and I've never, I've never looked at it again and I, you know, and I never want to look at that again. It's like how free are we really with it then, if that's what we're Not saying. Not at all. Not at all. And, um, you know, I was talking to another um, friend and she was like, oh, I just think all of them are ugly. I was like, wow, it's like, sure. I mean, whatever word we choose to describe is whatever, it's fine. But it's like even the conversation of, well, what what does ugly mean and and what do we compare, like what do we compare not ugly to to have a conversation of them being ugly? As a general conversation, And what's really interesting is if you ask a guy, they will tell you that penises are really ugly, but they love the way women look. They love vulvas. They just love them. They're great. They're so much prettier. And I'm like, well, yeah, you you know, penises are pretty. (laughs) They're not the most attractive thing in the world. (laughs) Like prettier. I mean, I know women, you know, I know they know there are women in, you know, to move it just from men and women, but there are women... um, who are in same-sex relationships that, you know, some love, love vaginas, some are like, whatever, not so fast. You know, there's a whole spectrum of that. But even like pretty, like what the hell is pretty? Mm. Like what a, you know, it's like, it's like it's ugly. Like there's a conversation for it's ugly and there's a conversation for it's pretty. And it's like, even if there's a conversation for dicks and penises being ugly, it's like that conversation has no grip or bearing on much. It seems. However, the grip that the conversation around vulvas and vaginas have is, it seems, and I don't mean to diminish all the stuff around penises that exists in language as well, but it seems that it's a pretty powerful conversation that also has a pretty big impact. And if we really, I'm interested in 
exploring in conversation with people, like what is actually the impact of what you say and what you think about your vulva and your vagina? And how does that impact? Because my guess is that it sits there as a pretty big impact and it may not be the vision, and I would, I mean, for me, it's not, it wasn't about the visual, like there's so many other layers to this conversation that isn't even about what she actually looks like. It's like all this other stuff that is in the way of, self-expression or creativity or intimacy or self-love or even like not even self-love but just like just being flat that it doesn't have a doesn't make a difference it doesn't have an impact but the fact that we don't look the fact that people like oh I've never really looked I think you know used a mirror once and had a look and it's like I mean really when we get out of the shower we stand in front of a mirror and we just don't look like you know we just don't look like it's really um yeah it's just a this is such a wonderful conversation because there's so much to it around what what we say and what we don't say and the impact it has and really the conversation that I'm for is altering that so that women have access to greater self-expression and freedom yeah, and intimacy yeah. in what, whatever it takes to, you know, whatever alters in the conversation around that so that it's not, it doesn't have the hold on us that it, that it can have. Yes. And, yeah. and that was the point I was trying to make with the guys. Like they're much more accepting of all of themselves and they're much more accepting of all of us than we are as women. Totally. And, and that's, that's the difference, you know. Even it's, it is like, and, and when you were saying about self-acceptance and everything there, it's like, oh, yeah, I accept myself fully. Accept that bit. That bit can stay hidden. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to talk about that. Totally. We just bypass that. Like, that's what I did. Like, oh, I totally accept myself, love myself, no problems. Oh, I don't really want people to see it. Yeah. Have that bit. Oh. We'll just just ignore that bit. We'll shove it in the cupboard. Like, yeah, we'll keep that covered, which is great because that's what we sort of are told to do. Mm. You know, we keep it covered. Um, and it, you know, something else I was thinking about was like, wow, if you know, if you know, asked a, asked a hundred women, and all of the women said, "Oh, Danielle, what a beautiful vulva." It would just take one man to make a different comment. And it would undo all of that, mm. which got me really curious as to, like, what is that conversation about? Like, who has the authority on what is beautiful, not beautiful, what pretty, not pretty, ugly, normal, gross, not normal, too big, too small, too tight, too loose, too whatever? You know, when you think about who's producing the majority of porn, who are the viewers, who's watching it, who's being influenced by that, it's like, wow, I don't even think we, the owners of our body, get to have the say about what is so or the conversation we choose to have about it. It's like someone else gets to decide for us. 
Mm. And this is all about learning how to sidestep that conversation and be in a completely different conversation. So they can have their conversation over there, but having the option and the tools to be able to move to one side and go, no, this is actually my conversation. Because I think yeah. that's what needs to happen, you know? We've totally. got to just totally move to one side and you know, recreate it. Totally. And it was really interesting, Karen, like something I discovered was like once I got flat on my view of her, I was like, I really do not. And like, like from a genuine place of not just like, I don't care what you say and then go cry in my room for six hours because I'm really deeply offended. But like, you know, it's actually fine what you as an observer thinks of that. Like you can have your opinion and your view, but actually what I say about how I choose to, one, who I choose to be and what I choose to say about my body and who I am, you can have your opinion that's fine, but it's just not who I say. And that, you know, that took like a pretty intense week of, like really getting to the core of what was going on here. And how did you do that? Because that's really fascinating. Yeah. So um, actually mapped this out. I wish I could see it so I could speak to it. But what started was recognising like what is it that's coming out of my mouth and what do I say? So what do I think about this? What do I say? And then I guess like what, what's my language about this? Like, do I keep it hidden? Well, I keep my legs closed and I certainly don't send photos of myself to other people, generally. <laughs> you know, like I, you know, I sort of, I'm not sort of like an open book. It's not like, come and have a look, come on in there. Like I'm, I'd been pretty, some of the beliefs that I had, it kept me pretty safe in terms of, um, in my view of being safe around my body and criticism or ridicule or you know being used or whatever is in the realm of the sex conversation for people so I got really flat on like what do I actually say about this and then I started to speak it out and get it out of me and then I did quite a bit of collaging and the reason why I mean we know why we like collaging but one of the reasons why collaging is so powerful is it gave language to this stuff that I sometimes couldn't articulate in language in my head. So I'd find a picture and be like, you know, I remember seeing a picture of an Oreo um, and was like, well, there you go. There's like the perfect vault, like everything's symmetrical and it's like you've got your two, you know, bits and then you've got the bit in between and then, you know, then I'd find a picture of like a mushed up pizza and just be like, good God, like that's just got shit everywhere. Like, ew, like, you know. Um, so I do imagery and spoke through what was coming up as I was seeing that imagery like what else was there to say and I kept speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking until there was nothing left to say and then it was like in that process of actually just getting that there was a whole conversation around it that had nothing to do with what was really going on it was just all this stuff that I'd just been saying or thinking or had heard or had compared to or um you know, had seen or remember or, like, there was just all this stuff. So it was so nice to just get it all out. Like 300 things sounds like a lot, but when you're just, like, getting all the crap out, it's not much, I don't think. 
And, you know, and I, and I sat there and I actually was being with. So we talk about like being with human beings when we just connect with people and there's nothing in the space. Well, it's like I've never actually been with her. I've never been with my vagina or my vulva, really. It's like this thing that's quite disconnected from me. It does its thing. It feels nice when particular touches or sensations happen and that's great. But Hannah actually like discovered her and it took like it was an hour and a half. So the first hour was really tough. Like I was like I just like it was very tough to confront all that came up. So that was also part of the process. And I spoke through what I saw and what was there when I was just being with myself, including like how unable I was to be with her. You know, when your legs are widespread, so it's also like not the most appealing view of, you know, oneself, one might argue. Kind of be like, you know, that's the whole point, isn't it? That's totally. exactly what we're talking about. Really. You know, it's like, you you know, it's kind of like your butt. I mean, this conversation's going in very interesting places and heaven forbid your listeners, but, you know, it's like your butt looks all good in your tight little underwear, but it's like, well, if you spread your ass cheeks open, have a real good look, like what you're looking at is necessarily your tight little butt that you've got in your hot little pants that you're running around with. So I was like really actually opening it up, like really having a good look. Um, and then... Once it was like everything that I needed to say was out and it was in dialogue, um, then there was a space to say, well, what now do I see and what now do I want to say about this? And one of the, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, but when I got, oh, I just like get moved by this, but I kind of heard in what you were saying, Karen, when you said like, you know, you did a good enough job and like now I just don't want to look at you or see you or like think about you. It's like. If that was how we spoke to a human being, like if we actually just took on that like these bodies that do an extraordinary job of letting us be who we are in the world and do what we want to do in the world, when I got like how cruel I'd been and how cruel the things I'd said about my vulva and my vagina had been and myself because it's all me, was like, whoa, like when I spoke that and got that and one of the, um, in the dialogue, one of the things that also came out was like, well, what would she say about this? And I was like, shit. Like, hey, you treat me like a piece of shit. You hate me. You don't want anyone to see me. You hide me. You judge me. You criticise me. You try and shut me off. You shut me down. You don't talk to people about, like, you keep me hidden. You, It's like, whoa. Like if I did that to another human being or someone did that to me, like what an awful experience of living. So that really, that really shifted for me. And then by the end of the conversation, we started like playing with, well, what would she say now? You know, and then I, we just joked about like giving, giving my vagina and my vulva a voice. And it was pretty funny, like, you know, hey, you don't let anyone go near me. Like, hey, you like say all this really messed up stuff about me. Like, hey, you don't touch me. Like, hey, you don't let other people touch me. Like, I was like, oh, God. So we really just brought humour to the conversation and that created this space of, you know, creating something newly and saying something different. 
and not like a, you know, I really think that it's not as simple as like, oh, I don't like my vagina. So I'm just going to start saying I like my vagina. Like I think if you don't deal with all the stuff that's in the space, you can't get there. And, you know, sometimes things come up still, like I'll hear something or I'll see something in a I can't remember what it was. I was looking up, like I was just Googling what's the actual rate of women that have vagioplasty. And, you know, I started seeing photos of some of the surgery that's being done and it's like, holy moly, like a tiny bit of lip. So like a pretty neat, neat, pretty joined um, vulva with a tiny bit, let me try to do it that way, like a bit of something, surgery to get it all like put in completely inside and I'm like, wow, like, you know, and then that kind of made me be like, oh, God, like if that's what's considered, you know, if that's what the conversation is considering not normal, it's like, holy shit, we have a really skewed view of what is normal because, you know, there's a huge variation of it. But also, like, there's not a lot of imagery. So there's, you know, the Mona's done casts, which is cool, but I get the impression that the casts were done with women, like, pretty much standing. It certainly wasn't like a full leg spread cast, I don't think. Um, there's lots of drawings, very anatomical, you know, sketched. These are the parts of the region, but not a lot of full-on, I mean, unless you look into porn, but I didn't really want to go down that path because I'm like, that's kind of, you know, like what, the, I don't know if that's a true reflection of what's normal, but it's like, God, even like looking for the variation is difficult to even find online. Or then you get like really full-on like, you know, deformities and like masses and growths and some really intense stuff. So, yeah, so, you know, like stuff still comes up and it's like, oh, wonder what that's about. You know, what that just triggered something that's interesting. Yeah. So that's it. So that's, I did the process twice. And right, then okay. Shifted it. But it was like that was, that's probably been the thing. That's probably been the thing that was like one of the biggest things I've ever resisted. So that's probably why it took a little bit longer. So I'm actually having a conversation with a friend to do a similar process, kind of map the process and, and do that process, but for her and her body and what she says about her body. This is the friend that um, uh, doesn't want to uh, have the lights on when she has sex. And she's a stunning young woman, like, like it's I mean, it's not crazy, but I'm just like, oh, my God, darling, like you're, she's gorgeous. Um, but so what? So what would I think? It's what's there for her. So, yeah, we're kind of playing with how does, how can that process be used to alter whatever it is for women who are interested in having it alter? So is that what the project is all about? So what is it you're doing with the Free the V project, it's about yeah. that kind of thing. So the main part will be the podcast. So and that will be um, just beginning to bring to life what is being said. Like what do we say? And then once we begin to hear what's being said, I'd love to be in a conversation for like how can that be altered in conversation? I don't know what that looks like yet. Then there seems to be a a stream of 
trying a process to see if a one-on-one kind of being in dialogue process, how to have that be available to people, kind of test and trial that. The other piece that we're working on is a um, photography exhibition, excuse me, and that will be where we get women um, and we take photos fully spread, like full spread picture of the vulvas um, and, you know, maybe up to 100 of those looking at them across, like kind of put in age range, of course, over the age of 18, but looking at what, well, what what's the variation ordinarily and then what's the variation kind of over time. And um, so that will be one of the other projects. And then there's questions that I'm just really interested in, like questions around um, inquiring into what we say. So one of the questions I have is, you know, if your vagina had a message for the world, what would it be? Like what would she say if there was something to be said? You know, it's like, or, um, you know, like what difference would it make if there wasn't, if, if our relationship to or what we said about our vaginas was not kind of like got to keep it hidden or shame, remorse, all of that. It's like, well, what might be possible if if the conversation for vagina is different? Like what if the conversation for what it means to be whatever type of vagina we have, it's like what if that was altered? Like what would that be like for women? How much do you think this has to do with... I'm not sure what the term I'm looking for is, but accepting of ourselves as women because there, there's, there's a real... It's like saint or slut, you know. We still yeah. kind of go down one of those two yeah. paths. Yeah. Um, but no feminine, just like acceptance of being a woman. Do you think it's tied in with that? Yeah, and I, I think... I'm cautious about man-woman because, you know, an area I'm interested in, in exploring is like what might someone who's going through gender transition, what might they say about their vagina or lack thereof? So, like, what's that conversation? And I think it points to um, I mean, there are, there are very gendered conversations that we're born into in this world, like absolutely. Um, and I think totally it's about, I think it is about acceptance, but I'm not, like if I reflect for myself, it's like, well, did I just accept that I have the vagina and the body that I have? I'm not, I'm not clear on, like, whether it's around self-love, acceptance or something other than that because it's kind of like it didn't really, it didn't, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how pervasive it was. So in the workplace, I mean, certainly in the workplace, being a woman, like, there's, you know, the whole way that society views women compared to men. It was interesting. I was in conversation with my partner and felt like I didn't have much to say. We were sort of stuck in a conversation 
and I didn't really have much to say. And then what showed up, and this may sound weird to people, that's fine, um, was this, um, it was like all of the history of time conversation for women just like washed over me. So I'd never really been that impacted overtly or in a really clear and distinct way around sexism or like I've sort of been pretty lucky. I've seen some pretty ordinary things happen and, you know, some pretty shitty things have been said, but I've never really felt as an individual myself particularly uh, maybe impacted by that, I'm not sure. It certainly wasn't obvious to me. But when I had that experience of like um, just kind of the experience of women as a collective across generations, across cultures, across countries, across time, it was like um, something one of the phrases that came up for me was like, we are punished for being women. And um, I just felt really moved by that. Like I spent quite a bit of time in Africa and, um, yeah, and I just was like, wow, you know, like there's male and female and other. And, the, you know, for the most part, it's pretty high rates. It's like pretty high percentage of male and female. And yet when did the conversation become that women weren't normal? And, like, who, who created that? And whether that's not normal as in we're not as smart or we're not as capable as or we shouldn't be paid as much or you know, we should have these roles or we should have a body that looks like this or we should behave like this or we should be feminine or we should be whatever it all is about the what we should be. It's like that experience that kind of washed over me was like that that we're punished because of our gender and have been done for, you know, many years in different ways and forms and shapes. And so that gave me a different lens to look through around this conversation. And I haven't even really begun to look from like the LGBTIQ lens. I haven't even I haven't even started to look there really. I experienced and and there was a particular event that I'm not going to talk about, but there was a particular event and I came out of it with the knowledge that there was something wrong with me because I wasn't a boy. Yeah. And that's how I've always felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even, even when you think about it from that perspective, it's even the names like, oh, she's a tomboy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's a pussy. Yeah. No boy wants to be a pussy. No. It's like, okay, so what are we saying about this term pussy, which is a word that we use for vagina? Mm. Like, oh, okay, so no one wants to be that. It's like, how old did that start? And boys certainly don't, I mean, you know, but boys certainly don't want to be a pussy, that's for sure. 
gets used as a way to like toughen them up. So it's, it's so young or like, you know, I had older brothers and it was like, oh, the boys, I mean, they were older than me. So they actually could do things that I couldn't do because they were older than me at times. But, you know, mum and dad were amazing at not having gender really be a thing in our family. But, you know, sometimes it was like, oh, well, boys can do those things. So I was totally a tomboy because what I grew up with was like the boys were doing fun things, like able to ride bikes and, you know, just do fun stuff motorbikes and whatever else and I remember mum said that one of my teachers in kindergarten and this was amazing so this only came out in conversation with my mum like so I had it that my teacher had said something like um Danielle doesn't behave like a good little girl so my whole life it's been like I don't even know I mean I'm I took on being a good girl like I totally was a good girl I don't do many things that are very naughty but I really had it like, well, then what was that? Like, well, what was a good little girl when I was in kindy? And then it was so interesting. And mum said to me, like, literally a few months ago, no, the teacher just meant because you were really good at maths. And I was like, um, I've spent my whole life in this conversation called, you know, I'm not little girly enough, whatever that is. I never really knew. I've never really known what it is to have been a good girl like I you know I don't do the wrong thing generally but I don't know what a good girl is and her mum was like no it's because you're really good at maths and science or yeah we're interested in science or something and I was like oh my god like wow like it's right there five-year-old little girl and someone just says that so this but this conversation that we're having about our preconceptions and the um those inbuilt beliefs, the unspoken inbuilt beliefs. Nobody's ever said to any of us, your vulva's disgusting, your vagina's disgusting. Well, or maybe they have, but. Some people have had that said to them. Wow. But yeah. it's all about keeping it hidden. Like, don't, don't show that. Yeah. Don't talk about that. No, yeah. that's not, not the right thing to do. Shh, be quiet. Go to your room. Yeah. Um, so, yes, some people have had it said to them. But for most of us, it's an unspoken thing that you do not talk about it so just having people just this conversation that we just had and having people think about oh okay like for me what is it that because when when we were talking last Sunday in uh, on the wisdom program I'm just like ah okay that's really fascinating what is it that I think And, and that was when when I wrote the post and I said you know it's just like yeah okay well done good job I need some repairs yeah okay oh bugger they didn't go quite that well did they and you know yeah but it's not an area of my body that honest to god I've had any interest in well I think it's about time to wrap up thank you so much thank you such an amazing conversation thank you for listening to this episode of the menopause marriage and motherhood podcast Come and join us in our new Facebook group, the Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood group, where we'll discuss what happened in this podcast and all the other things that have got to do with midlife. I'll see you there.